You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast brought to you by ascully.com. And here are your hosts, Ace Scully and Sid Talk. Hello world. Is this on? Is this microphone on? Are you talking to me? Am I the whole world? Yeah. You. Aww. You're my whole world. Oh, ugh, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that woman. <laughs> oh, you're my whole world. Oh, thanks. Moving on. So, um, what's the before the after the show discussion before, before we get on? Before the after the show discussion was you figuring out how to fix your stuff because the sound wasn't right. Everybody loves a technical glitch. And you making me test stuff, like saying things, and we didn't really say much. I said I had to go to the toilet. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> it counts if you It was a pretty non uh non communicative time frame between <laughs> the movie and now. No, I can't remember what it was. I said, we're something. we're the kind of charming couple that can sit without actually talking to each other. Yeah, and still have of, fun. And still have fun. <laughs> More fun. <laughs> Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it is Saturday, February the 24th. This is After the Show, number 519. We're a weekly movie review podcast. And the movie we're looking at this week on the run-up to the Academy Awards next weekend is The Florida Project. This is nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Willem Dafoe. It's a 2017 movie released on Blu-ray on February the 20th, so you can pick it up now. It's R-rated, and it's from our friends at Lionsgate, who sent us a copy over to review. And Sid Talk will give you the synopsis of The Florida Project. The uh, synopsis is, it is, um, without, say, at the risk of sounding pretentious, it is a slice-of-life type of story. You sound very pretentious. I do. Um, it's slice-of-life. You step into these people's world where they live in a... What is a motel, but they live there. And it focuses on one young mother and the manager guy, kind of. It's mostly on the little daughter. And you're just there for a brief time to observe their life. I mean, it's fictional. It's not a documentary or anything, but that's it, really. All right. So I will start off by saying I freaking love this movie. (laughs) So last year... um, Andrea Arnold, who's one of my favorite directors, put out a movie called American Honey. And before that, she did a movie called Fish Tank. And I said to you, this from the opening frame of this, it reminds me of those movies in a really good way. Like, I love those movies. It's kind of like you live somebody else's life for a couple of hours. You, Absolutely, yep. That it's, it's literally like you're on the shoulder of another person. Yeah. And it's so far away from your life, it's not the life you live. It, it's incredibly interesting to me. And this movie does that. Now, I just read a load of reviews of this movie just because I'm always interested to what people think. Whenever I like a movie, I find that people don't like that movie. Unless it's <laughs> Star not, Wars. That's not true. Yeah. You have a lot of movies that a lot of people like. But there's generally movies that I really take to. Like, I really like this movie. Like, there's, I like everything about it. Um... And there are a lot of people who are the complete opposite to that, who say this is the most boring thing they've ever seen, <laughs> and it is creatively like checked out. There's nothing to it. I completely disagree with you people. Um, and you know what? You people, the ones who are on IMDb are saying, oh, I had to leave the theater. Good, because like, all the people who liked it get to watch it without your moaning asses. <laughs> Thank you. That's my soapbox <laughs> for today. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, yeah, I love this movie. It's, it speaks to me in all, all the ways these type of movies do. Um, beautiful cinematography. Um, I think he made the slummy part of Florida look amazing, right? I wouldn't call it slummy, but... Kind of... kind of. I think that's kind of rude, but it's just, a, it's just the way life is everywhere. It's just... You're right next door to Disney. Like, literally, you can see the fireworks from where they live. The magic So, kingdom. the... The juxtaposition or the comparison of a shiny, bright, expensive world right over there. And then just life where there's like all these 
businesses. One's built to look like an ice cream cone. One's built with a big giant wizard head on top. This motel they live in is bright purple. It's just trying to, like, you know, kind of live in the orbit. Take up, be caught in the gravity of this big corporation that has this shiny, wonderful place. And by contrast, because you know it's over there, or you're reminded of it often, it seems... Like you would call it scummy, I just think it's just life. It's like, it's not terribly run down. It's not terribly, it's just like strip malls no, and like, you know, it's not, it's not Disney World. It's not a, it's not a fantasy world. It's real life. Now, coming, coming from England, what it reminds me of is Blackpool is a seaside town in England that is advertised whenever you see the advertisements for it as this exciting place where you can go and you can go on roller coasters and you can go in the, you know, amusement arcades and it's so exciting. But then when you actually go there and look at it, it's not quite as... Yeah. It, the cracks show immediately. It's not that thing you saw on TV. I've been to Disneyland itself, but I went to Euro Disney on the, not, you know, European Disneyland on the year that it opened. And it was pristine. I mean, it was just an amazing place. I don't know. Do the cracks show in an, in Disneyland or is it always? No, I think that was one of, well, I don't know about now, but that was actually one of Walt Disney's objectives was For, that it wasn't like you just described where you see behind the scenes, like the man behind the curtain. Right. That's why all the employees are supposed to be dressed up in costumes or so you don't even see that part of it. Yeah, but that, I don't know. I've never been there. That was my um, opinion of Euro Disney. It really felt like you were somewhere else. You were in this magical place and everything. There was no like, oh, look at that. That's a bit scummy. Or It was just right. So what this movie does, is nothing. it's not actually about Disneyland. It's just of the surrounding area of Disneyland, like we say. And it's like, what would you call these people? These type of people. Like, are the unemployed people? I don't know. No, because the one young mother has a job. Yeah, she does, yeah. I, so I wouldn't low, call them anything. People on the low kind of um, end of money, right? Like um, <laughs> poverty line almost. Um, I don't know, because we don't meet all of them. And I think that's presumptuous. But the idea is these are people who can't just spend $1,700 to go for one day to take their family to Disney World. Yeah, That's well, the idea. And not just that. They can, they can only just afford to live. Like. Well, we only meet the one young lady. So we don't know about everybody else. It's not... I mean, we're not talking about a palace here. We're just talking about a motel where people live by the day, by the week. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't all have anything. It just is... We don't get to meet them all. It's not like you get, you know, like a pastiche of a bunch of different people's lives. It's just this one young lady and her friend... And so 50% of the people we meet do have jobs because the friend has a stable job. Yeah. And the manager guy is a job because he runs the place. So Yeah, the manager guy is the is not like them, right? Um like them who? I just I'm a little confused. The people by who your live perception. in the hotel seem really scummy to me. I don't think that's fair. No. Uh, no. I really don't. Well, they we don't, don't seem like upstanding like like there's some there's drugs and there's Where's um, the drugs? Well, he mentions drugs, Willem Dafoe, like, like that drugs get... There's, like, people, like, partying. There's, um... I think that you're more judgmental than me. not really being watched. <laughs> I'm what? You're more judgmental than me, because I don't... It's just people living, and they're not people who have a $40,000 a year job, and they don't have a mortgage, and they don't have a car payment, most likely. But that doesn't yeah, mean any, But it doesn't mean anything. I mean, they're just people. And so while some of them act a little assholey, well, our young, our main actress lady, our main mother, acts like an asshole sometimes, it's not... I just think it's unfair to go, oh, it's a scummy place with scummy people who have no money. They're like the drudge of society well, or something. I go, I go to a movie called Fish Tank, and that's like full of scummy British people. Like they're scummy. I'm not saying that you're knocking them for being American scum. I'm just saying no. they're not though. They're no, just I'm not saying. People. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about fish tanks. About people in a low um, income part of Britain who have which very doesn't make a person a scumbag. No, it's unfair. I, I, don't, I guess I'm not saying the people are scumbags. I'm saying scummy, as in you did say they were scumbags. 
No, I did not. I said scummy part of the wool. When you listen back, you'll see. You did. Because they're not. They're just, they're rougher than the people who are all smoothed over with little packaged lives. And it's not appealing to everyone, but it's their lot at the moment. So that's what I like about it, is that it's it's not super gritty. So it's not like digging in the real guts of this kind of side of life. Because we don't see a lot of... You know what I mean? It's not really, like, horrible. It's not... It's missing a little bit of grit. Yeah, But it's it's also unapologetically, like, this is how this young mother could be. And I know people like her. Maybe you don't know people like her. And you're like, yep, that's the life. And there's nothing wrong with it, necessarily. It's just a struggle. It's like their life is a struggle. And partially because they make it that way. And partially because just circumstances, but yeah, it's it reflects that totally, just without the ultimate grit of it. And this movie um, is seen through the eyes of the kids a lot, so I think that that's why it's not as gritty. Yeah, because it's kind of filtered through these kids. So you know, if there, how old are these kids? Six. I'd say six or seven. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a lot of the scenes are with these kids. So, like, the mother and has a kid, and the kid has a, a little friends, and they're running around the hotel, and they're, you know, some would say up to no good sometimes, and then some would say just being kids sometimes, right? Absolutely. You know, when they spit in and stuff? Sure. I mean, that's kind of like... Not hey, things li- you would allow. Listen, kids, that's out of order. Like. <laughs> right. But then there's other times where they're just being kids. Like, But then there's other times where they're setting fire to things. So they're kids who... They're unsupervised a lot because of their circumstances. So it seems very realistic to me that kids would... Definitely. If you If you left kids alone for hours of the day... They will do whatever, right? Like, I mean, it depends on the kid because so, they all have their own personalities. But yeah, you you are if they're observing behavior where there is no accountability, and they're not being made accountable for actions that, in a different setting with different kinds of parents and a different social little rule box, would not be acceptable. Then, yeah, if you compare those two, yeah, they're just sort of running wild, and yet a lot of people live that way as children, and they're fine. Yeah. They're not always, but they can be. And so this is just like, and I think you see it because her little friend that she meets, she's not necessarily wild, but having the freedom to go with this young friend who's a little bit wild kind of loosens her up a little bit. And But she's clever and her mom cares about her. I mean, that's not always enough, but that, that comes through that she doesn't know how necessarily, but it's funny when you... When you watch a character like this young mom and then think about in life, you know, people who are sort of like wild children and they're wild teenagers and they're like, fuck everybody and anti everything. And then they have a kid. And then what happens is even though they've probably hated their parents possibly or been like, my mom's a bitch and she's too controlling. All of a sudden, the things that they learned from their parents start leaking through, like take a bath. Don't wipe your pizza on your pillowcase. You know, like she, she's she got something from her past and understands how to raise this child, but she can't deal. Ra- she hasn't raised herself yet, right? But she's passing on, attempting to, good some good things. And so you have to give credit, you know. And I like the way that she's shown as, like, you know, caring to her daughter, trying to you know, do right. Like she, her clothes are always clean. She's, she looks like she, you know, we know she takes a bath, unfortunately under bad circumstances sometimes or like for the wrong reason. But it just really comes through that this is a young mother who, if didn't, if she didn't have a child would probably just be, have no control of herself at all. She wouldn't even make an effort to pay her weekly rent. She probably wouldn't even make the effort to stay you know, even a hint of, like, respectable person. You know what I mean? That that's all that's holding her together. Yeah. But right. not in the way that where she's like, I'm going to be the best mom ever. Because that's, like, out of a magazine and it's bullshit. I'm just going to do what I can do. And 
I admire her and then I get pissed off at her. And then I'm like, oh my God, I want to like, I want you to know how cool you are, but you don't. I don't know. She was, she was complex and I love that. And um, you don't really see it through the mother's eyes too much. Like, so you don't really 100% know what she's up to. Um, you don't see any men in her life. You don't see, you just see her interaction with a friend sometimes from the diner, that lady. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's all filtered through the kids. And I think that makes it better because it's real. it makes it more complicated because there are scenes where, you know, there's a scene towards the end, there might be a little spoiler here, where some people have come to address an issue. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And the kid... I know, I, I just watched it, so yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> and the kid um, is... This is home to the kid. No matter if it's bad or good, or not. it's not so great maybe for a kid, the kid thinks it's home, right? Correct. And if the kid was removed from this situation, it would be bad. Like, they would miss something. Not just the mother, the whole... Sure. This is how the kid was brought up. So, like, the Willem Dafoe character, who's just, you know, the, the manager of the hotel, motor, he is something to her, too. Like, she sees him as... There's a scene where, they, where the kids are just playing around and they run into the office where the manager is and they just want a hug from him and then they <laughs> want to hide under his table. <laughs> and it's like he's part of their family, even. Like, as, a, as kids, they, this hotel is their home. He's a permanent fixture, something stable that's there. So I saw it that way. Like, you know, they actually, it actually isn't so bad. There is a whole family network there. And if she was ripped out of that, it would probably be bad. Absolutely. So um, I like the way this was filmed. It's, it, it was filmed on film, and it's really colourful, right, all the time. It isn't just colourful as in all the buildings around this area of Florida are really colourful. Um, but the costuming is very colourful, the T-shirts and the shorts, what people wear. And everything in the frames is just colour. You know, there's a scene with a rainbow there's a scene, you know, the the motel itself is bright purple. The orange place, which is like shaped like a big orange where you get orange juice, is <laughs> giant and bright. And all the shots are set up like big, long, wide shots. I, I was brought back to train spotting where the shot is giant of the building and then the person's really small just walking along the bottom. And sometimes they go from one edge of the frame to the other edge of the frame before it cuts. It's not a shaky cam kind of movie. It's all very static and you know, framed. But it looks gorgeous. I can't believe that it isn't up for, like, cinematography or movie itself, you know, for yeah. the Oscars. Because it's only actually up for this supporting actor role. Which, to me, I don't think that is the strongest part of the movie at all. Like, I like Willem Dafoe, and I think he gives a good performance. But I think the other parts of the movie are stronger than that. I agree. Such as the way it looks, how it is told... The script is not... This is where people might have a problem with this film. It's a lot of improvising, this movie. You can tell when you watch it. It's like, here's the general scenario, and they let the kids just talk. You think that, but then when you watch him, he's telling her exactly what to say, almost all the time, that is, we but, see them. But then he sometimes says, just say what you want. like, And, and, and I think a lot of the scenes are that. And but that makes it feel, when the kids are just playing and talking to each other, it makes it feel more realistic anyway. But um, the, some would say there isn't much of a plot, but I, that doesn't matter either, I don't think. No. Because it's about, like, I felt, like I said, I was on the shoulders of these people for two hours, and this is how they live, and this is a potted version of how they live. And it transported me to it. I felt the warmth of the sun there and everything. You know, mm -hmm. it felt hot, didn't it? Like, it just felt... Um, I lived in Florida, so I know how it feels. It feels like... And, like, they have the rain. The rain yeah. comes and rains for a little bit, and then it is not even an hour or two at the most. You look around, you're like, did it even rain? Because the sun just... It could be super sunny while it's pouring down rain, and then it's all gone. Like, in a matter right. of, like short time so that was like because it seemed a little gloomy while it's raining a couple times but i know it's gonna end it'll be over you know 
So they captured that for sure. And sometimes you see, uh, what I thought was interesting about this scenario is sometimes you see tourists kind of coming in and out of the frame and stuff. And the tourists feel, to me, like for these people who live there, they're almost, it's almost like they're invading their yeah. territory a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's like if, you, if you come into our lives, right, you're only on your way to the shiny place over there. So we're like a stepping stone for you, which they they seem like, hey, you're fair game. Yeah. At least the kids. We don't know anybody else didn't think that way, but the kids did. And somebody taught them that, you know. The scene where the honeymooner couple come yeah. and they, they've they kind of been sold like, oh, this is a Disney lot. This is No, a he said his assistant planned it. And that place was called Magical, Magical Kingdom instead right. of the Magic Kingdom. The actual hotel was called Magical Kingdom. So whenever whoever booked his vacation for him... Just pick that. So, like, when they come into the thing, they're, they're looking down on these people, and they're like, why are these kids just hanging around? We can't stay here, you know? They're just like, ugh. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if you expected to go to Disney World, anything wouldn't compare to that. I'm not an advocate of Disney World, by the way. I'm not a big fan. Um, I mean, it's a place like... I mean, what you, when you say you're not a big fan, why? I'm not a fan of shiny... Attempts at bullshit perfection. I just think it's fake and I'm not into that. I mean, I like, I don't know. Even when I go to a really fancy art gallery or something and you know I love art, I just find it kind of like uh, manufactured and I don't know. So Disney doesn't appeal to me at all. Yeah, and this movie is not a Disney movie in any way. It just no, I'm saying, to- but I'm saying that these people are passing through to yeah. like you know shiny perfect world, and this isn't it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the outs the outskirts of Disney, the sub like the suburbs of Disney is not the officially licensed Disney place, and it doesn't meet the same. It tries to, but it doesn't. Right? It's not. It, yeah, it might be painted like the Magic Kingdom, but it's not quite. The magic kingdom. Yeah, it's somebody trying to cash in on the people who can't afford to right. go. Exactly. Just that extra half mile or it's ver- it is. It's still touristy. Like, things are all, you know, like the big orange place. Yeah, and the, the rockets all over everything. It's called Futureland, but it, all, it too is just a small motel with, like, yeah. people living there. So, yeah, it just follows the life of this kid and a mother and the friends of the mother and the other kids. And it's just like some of these people say, who say it has no plot. Well, it doesn't so much. Some things happen, <laughs> like they do in all films. But I never felt like, oh, I wish this would actually go somewhere. I was never thinking that. No, I was me just either. thinking, I really like these characters and I like this place. And I would tune in every week to watch these people in this place. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's how it felt to me. Like, and yes, some stuff happens, and it gets a bit dramatic towards the end. But um, I don't think it would have mattered even if that didn't happen to, for me. I just enjoyed the place. And kind of like the little capers that the kids get up to. You know, they're just making mischief sometimes, like turning the AC off, turning the electric off for the whole building. Well, listen to you, they're just a little mischievous. <laughs> yeah, you know, nothing that's going to, like, damage or anything. Or You know, they're just being kids and being goofy and... Um, you say that, but there's another incident, so that's not accurate. Oh, yeah. They, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're, um, you're being charmed by them because they're cute and fun, but they're actually quite oh, bad. That's the thing. They're cute and fun, but there were occasions where I was like, oh, you little shit. <laughs> when they get a bit, they do get a little bit out of hand with what they say. These kids, you know, they, and uh, how, they, how they act towards adults sometimes. So, um, yeah, what did, have you anything more to say on the actual movie so. itself? I love it. I loved it. I was all in. I'm, you know, I, when I see people I've known or myself in a character and it's done well and not in an like exploitive and like, you know, in the extras, they do describe what one of his original ideas for this young mother was. And I'm like, yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that because that's just not a hundred percent a given where a lot of people would think that of her. Like you think of these people as sort of low or down and you've said it, that's just the way it is, but I didn't want her to be painted that way. And then, cause she's just clinging 
to, you know, I mean, it was not going having to, a difficult life. It was going to be um, what you would expect, I guess. It would, but would yeah, have been a bit I'm glad too they predictable. Didn't yeah. Do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, another movie from the Academy Awards last year, actually the winner, Moonlight. There's another movie that kind of show is. I know it's a yeah. lot more serious than this movie, but it also showcased that you know life. There's a certain life in that movie that that is being lived that is hard, <laughs> you know. And uh, this, while it's a bit brighter than Moonlight, very much brighter actually because Moonlight was pretty. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This doesn't have that kind of grit no. and like gut, like oh, you know. No, but it does in parts. There's parts where you're like, this is, it. You know, most people wouldn't come through this kind of lifestyle. Not true. Most people do. Well, without <laughs> something going wrong. Um, and has anything ever gone wrong in your life? No, I just mean something badly go wrong, like be That's arrested or bad things go wrong in everybody's lives, and a lot of people, most people in the whole world of all of humanity, live in what we would consider a less privileged life. So I think it's funny that we think because our life is this. Then we sort of let that reflect out towards like, oh, not everybody lives like those people. But most people do. Most people live in a way that isn't all nicely packaged up like ours. And they survive it because they're billions of people. True. Yes, bad things happen. I'm not saying that. Bad things happen. Um, You know, we can shine that light on people who have less money, but shine it on the people who have a lot of money. And you're going to find different problems Probably of the same uh, frequency. Now, this movie, coming down to the cast, actually features a lot of members of the public. And Does it? It yeah, seems like it. I was just reading, like, a lot of the people are actually people who lived at the hotel. Oh, right. And a lot of the, you know, like the lady in the laundrette? She is the yeah. lady in the laundrette of the really? hotel. Yeah. Wow. And also a lot of customers and people just mulling around are actually people who live there. So they kind of did it a bit, you know, and even the actors in this movie, aside from Willem Dafoe, are first-time actors who he he actually found a lot of them on Instagram. He was just, like, looking for people who looked. He found Haley on Instagram. And he found a little girl on Instagram, Brooklyn. Um, Because he was looking, he was going through one afternoon, like, going, well, these are the images in my head of these characters. And then he was just flicking through Instagram accounts. For people who looked kind of like them. So that's an interesting way of casting. I don't know if that happens all the time. Probably <laughs> does, right? I mean, casting agents, when you're looking for a certain thing, I guess you go and look in places where there are photographs of people, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that happens a lot, but... So uh, the cast consists of uh, Brooklyn Prince, who plays Mooney, the little girl. She's not been in anything before, but now she's in a couple of things next year. Uh, kids' movies, it looked like. So, what did you think of her? Uh, awesome. Really awesome. Why ticket. is she not nominated for something? Yeah, it's not like she... I mean, she is let to be a child, yes. However, she's also... In the moment when she does have to be emotional, she's working on it. Like, she's thinking about it. She makes herself have that emotion that, you know, a lot of adult performers couldn't do. So, I think that she... And, you know, she took direction, for the most part, from what we saw. I just think she was really open and, like, free about it all, and I, I was impressed. Yeah, she's, um, there's a sad part near the end of the movie where she has to be really sad, and um, she seemed really sad, for real, right? Well, she said, I just need to, I need to make myself cry, yeah. and then she did, and then that was it. But then there are parts where she's, you know, being a cheeky little bugger. <laughs> and that, that's fine too. Um, Bria Venalti plays Haley, the mother. Now she's a, she definitely was a, a first time actor, and he found her on Instagram. What did you think of her? Good. I'll, everybody was good. I mean, I don't. I can't even say anything. The, what I liked about the mother a lot is she loves this kid like you know with everything. And she tries to do motherly things with her. Mm-hmm. Like her idea of like a nice treat day, <laughs> like a cool 
you know, let's let me and my daughter be together and have a treat is they sneak into a hotel and eat the buffet. Yeah. Without paying. But to her, that is a, you know, I'm doing, you know, and it might be, she she might be breaking the law. That moment was also different because she knew what was about to happen. Yeah. Because she's looking at her daughter like, I know what's about to happen and I have to do this. This is all I can do for you. So we're doing this. And then she knew. So Um, I think that was her sort of like, you know. This is the best I can do for you is sneaking you into a hotel buffet. Yeah, exactly. And there's a there's a whole thing in this movie too where uh, how she tries to make some money is like she buys perfume from a wholesaler and then goes and try and sells the perfume outside the swanky touristy yeah. places where you know the tourists who have got a lot of money might just buy it off her just to make her go away kind of thing. That seems to me how most people buy things like that. Like, oh, she's annoying me, it's, she's kind of pushy, I'll just buy it and then she'll go away. Like, um, But that turns into also something else, right? Some other selling, which is not probably good. <laughs> um, but that reminded me a bit of American Honey. Like, their whole hustle of selling magazines door-to-door, it's a, yeah. it's a way of making a living, but it's not quite, it doesn't seem on the up-and-up fully. Um, so yeah, I liked her a lot, the mother. I thought she played it just right. Mella Murder plays Ashley, who's the friend of the mother, who also has a kid. You liked her too, right? Mm-hmm. She's a also first-time actress, and she didn't seem like... She seemed really... Like, no, they're really good. They're just... They were excellent. And then to- what the big talking point of this movie is, is Willem Dafoe as Bobby, plays the manager of the ho- hotel, motel. And... um I think, <laughs> this is just me, I really like him and everything, but I don't think that is the strong point of this movie I at agree. all. Like completely. I think he's like, and yet I know it's a supporting actor role, and he does it really well. I, I buy him all the time, and I get his emotion, and there's some emotion towards the end where he doesn't fully express himself, but I understand what he's going through. But everybody else in it, I mean, you need him to to anchor the whole thing, but they should be recognized too, I think. Like, everybody else is doing, like, extreme stuff. And he is just like a... He's the good guy, right? He's just there for everybody. Well, I don't know if he's a good guy, because I think we meet his son, and his son says... It's alluded to... That it's not. That the son says... I told her you said happy birthday, and Willem Dafoe's like, why? Why did you tell her that? I didn't say that. Now, we never get to know why, and then the young guy says, I can't do this anymore. I drive an hour and a half out of my way to come do this, and then there's just sort of like nothingness. So I inferred from that conversation that he had had, you know, something bad relationship, and the son is trying too hard to... Yeah, part of his life, and so we don't know that he's a good guy necessarily. He but, just, I mean, a good guy in this motel. He's like he helps everybody. He actually goes out of his way to help people sometimes. He does discipline a few people. There's a lady who's sunbathing topless. <laughs> Only kind of, yeah. There's a there's a, that whole scene with the kind of creepy guy hanging around the oh, kids. Yeah. How he deals with that guy, I really love that whole scene. I thought it was. Perfect when he's he was like very calm, very calm, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Get the fuck out of here!" <laughs> that was that was really cool. Um, but I don't think when you think this movie is going to be like you know hyped up around Willem Dafoe, like that's what it's going to be talked about. But I think it's really the kid and the mother, yeah, that I th- I'm thinking of of like, wow, those were some accomplished things. So it's a shame. It's really a shame that they didn't get anything. Also, it. You know, the movie itself. Get Out is the thing this year that I am going, huh? <laughs> it was a horror film that we watched But you liked year. it. I did like it, but it, other films we've seen, you know, in previous years for Oscar nomination, Best Pictures, that comes across to me as doesn't fit. And, you know... But, but, but what? Why? The Florida Project does fit to me. Like right, I, but what does that mean? I don't know. It's just an intangible, and I guess that is the... Right, but it's a, is it elitist to say this movie should be nominated for awards and that one shouldn't because it's a, it doesn't 
fit. It doesn't tick all the boxes of what? Like quality of performance, quality of writing, or is it just a vibe, or is it because it's horror? You know what I mean? I guess I'm, I'm not. I wasn't a huge fan of Get Out anyway, but I know what you're saying. However, if the majority of people start finding that to be the thing, right? And then you can point out the qualities of it. Who's to say that doesn't fit in? That's like saying Andy Warhol's art isn't art because it isn't a master from the 17th century. Yeah, I guess there are no rules. Like, I mean, Star Wars could be the best picture, right? Like, I mean, could. Uh, come on. Um, oh, what was it called? <laughs> My Cousin Vinny? No. <laughs> yeah, but she was good. But um, I even think like... Oh my god, what's it called? Titanic? No. Well, yeah. That w- Peter Jackson. Lord of the Rings? Yeah, those aren't great. They're just big. Yeah, but they were never Best Picture either, right? They, they were nominated just- for a lot of awards in the third yeah, round because special. everybody's like, well, it's such a big deal and they're so big and epic and it's Lord of the Rings and we better give them something. It didn't qualify to me to be, you know, I- but again, I'm doing the same thing. I'm going like, that's not... Just because everybody's I guess anything like, oh. should qualify, really. Like, I mean, if you're a film and you was made, and you were done made that year, then you. I should... mean, there have to be there has to be a guideline for what elevates a thing, either in art or food or sports or writing or music. Right? There has to be. There are gradients of whatever. But that's the thing, isn't it? What is that gradient? Yeah. Who who sets that gradient? Do we set it because we're Program to go well. These are the kind of movies that get awards. So it seems like it. <laughs> so, yeah. So Get Out doesn't actually fit. Or you know, if next, if the best picture nominee for this year is Thor Ragnarok, we'd be like, but it isn't. It isn't. But let's say it is next year. Let's say next year Iron Man Four is best picture. Up for best picture. Like, is that wrong? It's it still, on, is but it, you'd have to see it and decide. That's what I mean. If it's a really good superhero movie, you know. I don't know. There's there's some kind of weird line where, you know, somebody made up. We've been brainwashed. These are the quality movies and these are not. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, those are the actors in this movie. It's directed by Sean Baker. I don't know Sean Baker at all. He directed a movie called Tangerine and one called Prince of Broadway. Now I want to watch them because apparently they're very similar in style to this movie. You know, very. Um, then why would you want to watch them? Because I like the style. Mm. Of, if you like the style of... If I like... Like if I'd seen um, There Will Be Blood and it was my first Paul Thomas Anderson movie and I would want to go and watch the other movies by him, right? But they're all very different, so that no, doesn't No, he has a style. <laughs> he totally has a style. Yeah, but they're very different. Yeah, but when when I just said about this movie, I like his, these other two movies that are similar style, why would you say, why would you want to watch them then? Well, because then it's like you're watching the same movie three times. No, not not the same. Just the style, like right. Like like Darren Aronofsky has the same style, but then you would not want to just want to watch one and be done with it, right? What are some of his movies? Black, Black Swan. Swan, The Wrestler, um, Mother. You know they've got a um, style to them. There's a certain style, but you wouldn't just be, you wouldn't just watch one and go, "Well, that's enough. I've seen what he has to do." That's what I mean. I, this this has made my attention to this director. I definitely want to see the other things because this is awesome. So <laughs> he's made other movies. It's like discovering somebody for me. Like, I don't know this guy. I see this movie. It's awesome. I definitely want to see his other ones. You know, you can usually see the craft actually uh, happening as well, can't you? If you go back and watch from the beginning. Watch Paul Thomas Anderson's movies from the beginning. You can see it develop, right, into something. Yeah. Also, also with Paul Thomas Anderson, for instance, you can see his style develop and actually completely go off in another direction at one point. Like he got to a certain age and started making different types of movies. Like maybe that, maybe that he him himself didn't want to tell kind of boogie night stories anymore. He yeah. Wanted to, he wanted to tell like there will be blood, you know. So, um, yeah, this director, I am really going to have a look out for these movies. Uh, there are a few extras on this Blu-ray, not much. Again, whenever a Blu-ray gets put out before the Academy Awards, 
There doesn't tend to be much in the way of extras. But there is a uh, making of called Under the Rainbow. It's about 20 minutes long. Pretty good, right? It's like on, you know, it actually seemed like it was made by the director and his crew. Like somebody on his crew. Yeah, definitely. Um, And that's always good because you get to see like, you know, really, really intimate on set. There's bloopers and outtakes and there's cast and crew interviews. That's it, really. Uh, The bloopers and outtakes are three minutes long. It's just a lot of the kids being funny. So um, thanks to Lionsgate for sending us this movie over. I'm glad I saw it. It was really excellent. And I would highly recommend this one. So sit down. Agreed. Um, If you want to enter a contest, go to aschoolie.com. You can win something. Next week's, talking of Thor Ragnarok, next week's Blu-ray review is Thor Ragnarok. We'll look at that next week. (laughs) Um, Movie recommendations. You probably, uh, these are, I've mentioned them already in this review. American Honey and Fish Tank. Both movies by Andrea Arnold. Uh, She's awesome. She may, uh, if you buy Fish Tank, or if you go and get Fish Tank, Get the Criterion Blu-ray of it. And it also has two of her short movies on there. One called Wasp and one called Dog. That's not to be confused with Catfish. So we're talking Fish Tank. Right. It's very different. Yeah. (laughs) Just seek it out. Fish Tank, American Honey, which was the last movie she did, which is also awesome. Slice of Life, kind of following some people around movie. And... uh, this um, Florida Project really, really put me in mind of those movies. Like, I want to see Fish Tank again. I've not seen it for a while. So yours are? Your recommendations? Mine are... Uh, there's actually a movie called Under the Rainbow. It's like this really weird... It's not good. I'm not recommending that you see it because it's good. But it is called Under the Rainbow, which is what this extra reminded me of. That is supposed... That's like a fictional, weird thing about when all of the... People who played the Munchkins and the Wizard of Oz were at this hotel. And obviously it was 1939, so it was sort of 1937, 38, 39. So it was kind of like pre-World War II and all these weird, like, there's references to like spies and Nazis and all kinds of weird stuff. It's very weird. It's not well made. Probably controversial as well. But it is called Under the Rainbow. So I had to throw that in there. And the other one is completely different, but... Toys, do you remember, with... Yeah, Robin Williams. Yes, not Toy, which was... No. Um, well, it might have been Toys as well with Richard Pryor, but Toys with Robin Williams. Yep. Um, it's kind of... Weird. Kind of weird, kind of like like you could see it drawn out in a graphic novel or something. You know, it's very colorful and sort of like enchanting, but also really sad and sort of, you know. So Toys and Under the Rainbow. So, no explanation as to why, but those <laughs> just seem to call out to me. Well, Under the Rainbow fits with this, the Florida Project. So, um, games and A-Scully stuff. I've been playing the new Metal Gear game this week, uh, Metal Gear Survive. Now, this is really controversial because um, the creator of Metal Gear Solid, Hideo Kojima, left Konami last year. Some say he was fired, some say he left. Who knows what happened? The guy who invented it? Yeah, but he's left, and that leaves Konami with the Metal Gear license and not him. So Konami now have the rights to Metal Gear, and they can go along and make their own Metal Gear games. This being the first Metal Gear game without Hideo Kojima. And it is... Why it's controversial, I guess, is it's a survival game with a Metal Gear kind of wrapper on it. Um... It's really funny, actually. There's, the cutscene at the beginning of the game is 90 minutes long. Before you actually get to play the game, there's a 90-minute cutscene. Now, Hideo Kojima was famous for really long cutscenes. I think Metal Gear Solid 4 had a two-hour cutscene in the middle of it, which is longer than most movies. And some people can't, some people can't deal with that. Like, I'm playing a game. How can I sit here for two hours? This is crazy. But some people see the crazy and go, wow, this is awesome. Like, who knows what's going to happen in these games? So the beginning of this game, it kind of starts off at the beginning of Metal Gear Solid 4, which was the last game. And you actually see scenes from that game happening. And then something happens at the beginning of Metal Gear Solid 4, where there's a giant explosion, if you played Metal Gear Solid 4, you'll know, on an oil rig. And turns out, 
you see a character stood off to the side. What happened was you were there, this character who will be you in this game. So they've kind of done this alternate, oh, what if like you were there and you were like significant in that game? But then it then a, a big black hole wormhole opens up in the sky, pulls all of the people. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, all the people on this oil rig that's just about to blow up. Metal Gear um, Snake Solid Snake takes off in a helicopter and then goes off. If you've played Metal Gear Solid Four, he goes off to play Metal Gear Solid Four. But you, a wormhole opens in the sky. It sucks you up and a bunch of other things, and and uh, then you land in this alternate version of Metal Gear world that is not really real. <laughs> it's very strange, but you've got to survive in this other thing that is a alternate version of a world. And there's a wormhole that can get you back into the real world, but you've got to go about all these things to get back there. Now, then it turns into a survival game, which is you've got to think about food, you've got to think about water... You've got to do tasks that are given to you, like, oh, we need you to go over there because we found a, there's a satellite dish on the map that will get you one step closer to opening up a wormhole to go back to real life again. And that's how it, that's how the story ends up in. So there is no Solid Snake. He's off, he's off doing Metal Gear Solid 4, and you're this random person in Metal Gear Solid's alternate world. So if you think of it that way, it means nothing to the Metal Gear story because it's not really real, right? So that's where some people are a bit miffed. Like, Konami owned the rights to Metal Gear and now they're just pissing it away by doing nothing with the story. Whatever happens in this game, it doesn't actually matter. So the story is not the interesting part of the game, though. It's like a... I don't really play survival games, but this one kind of got its hooks into me. You've got this base. You start off in this base... And you have to clear all the rubble away and you have to build a fence around it. And then you have to like make sure it's, you know, got all the working things in it. And then you go off on little missions. And when you come back, you bring whatever you found out in the world. You might have found a lot of wood, a lot of metal. And you come back and you get the option when you come back to turn in all that stuff and make other things. Like I've just made uh, rainwater tanks that collect rain that we've got drinking water or I brought back a load of potatoes. We planted the potatoes in the ground. I don't know if that's how it works in real life, but now we have potato crops. Mm -hmm. So going out to do these risky missions because there are zombies out there, like soldiers that have turned into zombies, they're very risky missions because you're kind of underpowered and you've only got like certain weapons. But if you go out there and do these missions and come back with good stuff, you can build up your base and your base gets bigger and bigger and better. And eventually you will be able to open up a wormhole and leave this place. That's the ultimate aim of the game. So I really like it. A lot of people hate it. Again, like this movie, I guess. I've been watching you play it and I had no idea there were wormholes involved. No, wormholes and surviving and wandering around the desert, thirsty. Yeah, all you ever talk about was being hungry and thirsty. Hungry and thirsty. And dying. You know why? Because there's like little ticky timers on your little man when you're walking around. I've got a woman character. But just right next to her, there's your hunger and your thirst meter. And also there are areas of the map that are covered in like this horrible smog. And then you've also got another meter, which is an oxygen meter, because you've got a little pack on your back. So you're watching these three things and you've got to manage them. You've got to eat, you've got to drink, and you've got to fill up the oxygen meter at specific places so it it's a very it turns out it's very stressful it's not a relaxing game because every, all the time you are thinking oh what happens if i can't reach there because i've not got enough oxygen or but there's something like sadistically cool about it <laughs> and I, every time i come back from a little mission and bring some more stuff back to my base i feel like i accomplished like the best thing ever it's like oh my god i brought back seven pieces of metal and three three bags of grain. Woo! We're going to have a party, you know? So <laughs> so I don't know how the actual story is going to go, but the story does. Every time you come back from doing a mission, some of the story, there's a new cutscene that tells you some more stuff about what's happening. Um, so I'm actually really enjoying it, but I see that the Metal Gear people who love Metal Gear and the story 
are hating on it and saying don't buy it. But I'm having fun with it. So who knows uh, if I'm right. You're such a rebel. I'm not the biggest Metal Gear fan, even though I've played them all. But I'm not like, I don't know everything about it. I think I think it's those type of people, the ones who know every single little detail. And this is like, ugh, why would they do this? Why don't they just continue the story? And why am I not playing a snake? And where is Snake? Wouldn't you know? that be like if your Twin Peaks ended up not having any of the stuff in it that reminds you of Twin Peaks? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess you could say this is spin-off Metal Gear Solid. But if you enjoy the world and you like the sound effects and the graphics, it still looks like metal and sounds like Metal Gear. It's just you're not Snake. You you create a character. So the character is you or whatever you choose to make. So that's that. And uh, this is not a video game, but it could be. And uh, we watched um, net on Netflix this week Marvel's The Punisher. So we're... Right up to date now, we've seen all the Marvel shows, and after next week, we'll have seen all the Marvel movies so far. So, Sidto, what did you think of The Punisher? I really liked it. I mean, there's a lot of very gratuitous and unnerving violence, which I'm not a huge fan of, because it can be, like, just too much and, like, really lazy way of doing it. However, if you take this person and his story... It is part of it, so. But I like. I think the performances were good for you know Marvel. I mean, I'm not saying it's all great, and but I, it's just surprising when you're watching and you're like, I'm totally into this. I'm totally into these people, and they're the stories to me. You know, a lot of people are gonna roll their eyes at it, but it's it goes beyond comic booky to me. There are moments when you're like, oh, that's very, you know. Stanley or whatever, but for the most part, I was just into it, and everybody was really into it. The fights were, like, hardcore, you know, when it crossed the line of, like, oh, come on, I get it. You're a bunch of dudes, and you want it to be, like, yeah, I want it to be bloody and horrible. I get that. But the fights, just the fighting and the actors were all really physically committed to what they were doing. I thought that was high. It made it felt more high-quality. Yeah, when we saw The Punisher in Daredevil Season 2, and he came into it, and I was like, oh yeah, The Punisher, I've seen one of the Punisher movies, I get his story and that. And then I thought, then they said, oh, we're going to make a Punisher series, you know, because he went down so well. I was like, oh, I don't know what they would do with him. Like, he's a guy who shoots people, right? That's Yeah, know. and he's complex. It's very complex. Yeah. Because you can't just like him, and you can't just hate him. I mean, you can. You can pick a thing and a reason to think he's a hero and you can pick the reasons to think he's a horrible human being but when you mix those together it's complicated yeah <laughs> and that's what i was surprised by the actual story it's really good it's like it's like a, a marine story and a ptsd story and it's not quite what you would think you know they, they introduced some awesome characters i thought micro was amazing yeah very good i like madonna the the homeland security lady She's awesome too. I would like to see her. I said to you, Misty Knight from Iron Fist or from, yeah. I'd like to see them team up, those two, because they're tough. You know, both tough. Um, And also it brings Karen Page in from the other, you know, from Daredevil. But I liked where the story went. And it's also like an origin story of, uh, what's he called? Billy Russo. It's Billy Russo who... Is the bad, kind of bad guy in this? Who's it's his origin story too. So I think they did a lot with it, and I was expecting just him going around like being a vigilante, but it's not that, is it? It's not him being a vigilante, really. Most of the thing is about something else, which I was surprised because I thought it was just you know the opening five minutes of this episode one, the opening part where mm-hmm. you see him kill a load of people just as the Punisher. I thought the the show was going to be that, like him on little missions to do things. It actually is not that at all, which was very surprising. Just one big mission. So next uh, up is Jessica Jones Season 2, and that starts uh, on March the 5th or something. So uh, we're right up to date, and we can go into Jessica Jones knowing what happened in The Punisher. I recommend The Punisher. If, you're, if you've watched all the Netflix shows from Marvel... Don't watch it with kids. 
No, it's not. It's definitely an adult show. Yeah, I mean, it's don't weird. even let your don't think because it's cartoony or because like Daredevil's a little more whatever. It's not. It's definitely not for no, it's not young minds it's to not have those the, uh, images Avengers. in their minds. It's not for them to have any of that soaked up into their brain or to emulate in any way. And if you do let them, or you think, oh, it's the Punisher, it's a comic book, and they've read all the comics, well, meh, it's not. Yeah, it's not the Avengers. I mean, you wouldn't. Sit a kid down with you it. You shouldn't cause. have them watch that either, but that seems to be the... Because it's really about killing people and murdering your uh, enemies and blowing up whole worlds and destroying whole everything. So, yeah, it's not, not great either. So that's The Punisher. Awesome, really well made. And uh, John Bernthal really surprised me. He's really good. It, it, he's, he is the... Pun- Forget him in Walking Dead. He is the Punisher. That is what he was. Yeah, I didn't like Shane, and I didn't like him as Shane. Right. So this was like an uphill battle, but ultimately I was a fan. Turns out he's the Punisher, and I can't think of him as something else. He's just the Punisher. So, well done, dude. Uh, So, uh, Sitar, what is for dinner? Tonight we're going to have mashed potato and some cabbage that's cooked in a pan. Like... Well buy done. the bag. Buy a bag of coleslaw chopped up stuff. Throw it in a skillet with a little bit of margarine and some seasonings, and uh, fry it up. And then a veggie burger. And the reason we're telling you what we're having for supper, which sounds super boring, is because we're vegetarian. We're not activists or animal rights people or anything like that. We just stopped eating meat ten years ago, and people are. It's still. It's like you know, lots of people are vegetarian. And yet when you say it, you get this weird reaction, always a weird reaction, like, oh, oh, I could never stop eating bacon. That's almost always what people say. Yeah, always. Or, oh, I could never do that. I need my protein. Right? Well, it's been 10 years, and I can assure you, my body is quite ample. I'm very round. I'm not starving. I have no health problems. I'm not lacking any vitamins. I'm definitely not lacking protein or fat or sugar, because I like carbohydrates a lot. So... If you ever think you want to be that, you know, stop eating meat, it comes with a stigma. It just does automatically. People roll their eyes at you. They think you're some kind of hippy-dippy person. They will make fun of you, mock you, try to get you to eat things that have meat in them and say, yeah, but this, you need to try this. And I'm like, I spent 40 years of my life eating dead animals. Like, seriously, my family's big on steaks and burgers and hot dogs Every meal had meat. Every dish had meat, including veggie pizza has bacon on top. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, my family dealt with, sold cattle and, you know, we processed a whole half a beef every year, they called it, and half a hog, and then the freezer's full of every kind of meat you can imagine. So I've eaten my share. Trust me. I've eaten a lot of chickens, <laughs> a lot of dead fish, a lot of dead cows, a lot of dead pigs. So I'm, I'm good with the uh, understanding that meat tastes delicious. I get it. But you get a lot of that. Or like, oh, well, sorry, I'm still going to eat my burgers. I don't give a fuck what you eat. I really couldn't give a shit as long as you're not eating the hand off my arm. I mean, I don't care. I would care about that. But... Or you're not eating, like, boiled babies, <laughs> human babies, <laughs> something so, like that. But you don't need to try to guilt a vegetarian into eating meat or trick them or, like, make them make it seem like it's some sort of phase they're going through or some bullshit. Especially if you have a teenager who wants to do it, let them deal with challenges. It is a challenge. That's why I tell you every week what we eat because people will be like, what do I even start? Well... Tonight, to me, this meal we're going to have tonight with aspar- we have asparagus, cooked cabbage, mashed potatoes, some leftover macaroni and cheese. I mean, come on. <laughs> and we had pizza last night. I had a cheese pizza. You had a veggie pizza with no cheese, no red sauce. And it's amazing. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it still boggles my mind after all these years. And introduce the idea to people, or I'll say... They'll offer me something. I'm like, no, thanks. No, thanks. I'm good. And I don't say it the first time. No, you've got to try this. You've got to try this, whatever it is. You know, like a snack day at work or at a restaurant with friends. I'm like, no, I'm good. And usually with my friends, my best friend will say, don't give her that. She's vegetarian. (laughs) Don't feed her that. Don't tell her she has to eat that. You know, so I don't even bring it up. Because then you get the, oh. And some people are just assholey about it. They're like, they'll 
chew on the meat like, oh, this is so delicious. Look at me chewing on this dead animal. Like, I'm like, okay, awesome. I don't care. Does that matter to you that I don't care what you eat? Why do you care what I eat? You know, but don't be discouraged if you want to try it or your kids want to try it. Just do it. Give it a try. And what's your advice before we leave? My advice tonight is, and it's difficult, but I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine because a, a, a good friend and, well, not a good friend as in a, a daily friend, but a lady who gave me a job a long time ago in a little tiny grocery store. She died this week. She had not been well, and but she was only 60. So, you know, before her time. And I was talking to her ex-sister-in-law, who was very fond of her, and we were talking about stuff. And this lady I was talking to was saying that she's worked really hard on herself and she's never really come to accept that she's awesome because she kept telling me how awesome I am and how inspiring I am and all this stuff. And I always say, I'm not. Trust me, I'm not. I'm full of shit most of the time. I just say things like they are. And I accept that people appreciate that. I accept that the people who love me see me as... Whatever, the good stuff that they see. I accept that. I accept that my husband loves me because of whatever good reasons he sees to love me. I accept that my niece, who is a big fan of mine, sees the good qualities through her eyes, what she sees. I love that my mother loves certain qualities in me. And every person that I know who sees something good, I accept that. And I will look at myself through their eyes. So my advice is to look at yourself through the eyes of people who think you're awesome. Don't deny them that. Don't tell people, no, no, no. You can't possibly think that. Now, if you're the Punisher guy, (laughs) maybe (laughs) you have a struggle with some really horrible moral choices you've made. However, most of us aren't. Um, But just for a minute, when you start feeling like shit and feeling sorry for yourself, which I'm not a big fan of, No matter what you've done or who you are, it's just a pity party. Get the fuck over it. And if somebody loves you and they've told you that and they're trying to make you see that, just turn off your own brain for a minute and look through their eyes at you and what you've offered them. The good stuff. And you will be amazed that you are not a piece of shit. Because that's just like, that's just feeling sorry for yourself. And it's like this really pitiful, self-absorbed way to look at the world. Oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm worthless. I'm terrible. Nobody should love me. Wah, wah, wah. Like, it's just, it's just like this annoying noise in the world I hear from people. Just stop for a minute and think about anybody. One friend of yours that you knew 20 years ago who thinks you're awesome. One friend who you know at work who just loves to hear you tell stories about something. Or somebody you gave advice to once and they're just eternally grateful like always grateful for that one moment in time when you were a positive influence in their life quilt them all together sew them all together like a big quilt we all love a quilt and think of yourself that way you want to also tell the story of your new lens that you bought for your camera (laughs) (laughs) and you know some more advice would be to be humble and accept when you're there's some advice to be had in this (laughs) story be humble about your, like, mistakes and whatever. Okay, I'm learning some things about photography. So I can take some wedding pictures later in the year. So I bought me a good body camera, body, a Nikon D3400, in case you're interested. It came with a, 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 kit, a kit lens. But everything I read about taking portraits, you need a 50 millimeter lens. So, of course, I'm being a cheapskate. And I'm like, I've got to buy the cheapest one because I don't know where this photography thing will go. So I need to just, whatever. So I bought me a little... Lens. I'm taking all kinds of pictures with what it. Brand even, was, what brand was it? It's uh, Yongnyo. Yongnyo. Yeah. Um, and I watch a lot of videos about it and people are like, yep, it's a good starter lens. You know, it's not horrible or anything. But I'm taking pictures. I even posed myself. I put on makeup, comb my hair, put on an earring, you know, the whole deal. And posed in front of the curtain with my little umbrella lights I bought. And you'd be surprised how cheap all that stuff is, but that's a separate thing. So I'm taking all these pictures, and I take some still pictures of my little dice and stuff that I've been taking pictures of to practice. And I'm like, they're just just all... You even said they've got like a weird... They're all blue. They're all kind of weird. The, yeah, the colors seem They're not bad. very focused. Yeah. I'm like, it's just me. It's me. Or it's the lens. It's shittier, and I am get what I pay for. And I'm look. I'm, you know... So the other day, I took a bunch of pictures of some plants, and they weren't... They were just sort of foggy looking. And I'm like, what am I doing? So I went to swap out... To put the kit lens on there. 
and take the same pictures and just see, like, maybe what am I missing here? And as I looked at the end of the lens, it still had the little blue film thing stuck on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, very obvious. It wasn't even, like, hidden no, at like, all. It had a blue tab. The lens out. protector, like, basically. Yeah, yeah, the lens, not the lens cap. No. But there's a little clear, well, it's blue, but it's clear film. Yeah, like you get plastic. on anything. Like you get it on the back of your, you get it on your phone when you buy it or a TV, you have to peel off yeah. the film. That's what it was. And I'd been taking pictures for a week with that on there without now, having looked at it. Like if that dork. film would have been clear, you might not have ever noticed and just thought it was a terrible <laughs> lens. Well, I did think maybe it wasn't great and I was on the verge of looking into returning it, but now I've taken pictures and they're awesome. And I even went to a photography Facebook group and posted it and said, like, don't ever feel like an idiot. Don't let people think, act like you're stupid because you make these, like, rookie mistakes because it's just really easy to do. And I was, like, immediately, like, oh, my God, guess what I just did? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, throw my hands up. It's a, it's a, it's a true story. All right, so if you want to see our website, say schooly.com, sidtalk.com is back up now. And do you have your yeah. photographs on there? A couple. I mean, there's not much on there yet, but I plan to put more. So. Will your portfolio be up there? Um, Possibly. All right, go I to mean, they have to get better. Keep looking at sidtalk.com and you can see some of these photographs. That's C-I-D-T-A-L-K, sidtalk.com. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. You can catch this podcast on the Google Music Store, Google Play Store, the iTunes Music Store, the RSS feed, aschoolie.com slash podcast. You can just subscribe and listen there. You can catch it on TuneIn as well. And you can also catch it if you've got an Amazon device. Say your A word. We call it the A word so we don't trigger her. <laughs> and then say, listen to After the Show Movie Podcast on TuneIn. And it will just play it for you, the latest episode. Also new... We are on YouTube. You can actually listen to the podcast on my YouTube channel, which is ascully.com. Ascully, D-O-T-C-O-M. But if you just search for After the Show Movie Podcast, you'll find it on YouTube. Um, I'm sure some people will appreciate that. I thought it was really difficult to upload a podcast to YouTube because it's not really made for podcasts. But there's a little app that just does it for you. So why not? <laughs> you can email feedback to me at aschoolyaschoolie.com. Don't email Sid Talk. And I want to say stay classy, Mr. Willem Dafoe. Good performance, but I would also give the best performance to the two ladies of this movie. Definitely. And I'm going to say think for yourselves, because if you don't do it, somebody will do it for you. 